Okay, good morning. How are you doing this morning? Appreciate the opportunity to be here, be worshiping with you. Some great things going on, great next steps for folks, and uh, we're going to be adding to that uh, today. I'm looking forward to the uh, event Generations coming up on Friday. March the 3rd seemed like a long ways away, but it's this week, so those of you who are participating, we have just a great group coming out, uh, over 70 people. Uh, who've signed up and will be joining us all the way from like uh, 12, 13-year-olds to folks in their 70s. And so it's going to be a great event. And uh, be sure to finish your book, and we'll see you Friday night, 6.30, this Friday at 6.30, and that's going to be great. I also wanted to let you know about something that happened this weekend. You didn't necessarily know it, but you had some leaders who were working hard on your behalf and uh, praying together and meeting together and thinking about Trinity and its next steps. We held a uh, pastor deacon leadership retreat this weekend. So we took off on Thursday and came back yesterday afternoon and went to Alawa Lake and worked hard. Didn't really enjoy our setting except from inside. It was a beautiful spot to be at, but we just uh, were in a lot of serious discussion about Trinity and health and next steps and what God has for us. And I just want you to know, uh, A, that we're excited about the things that are ahead, but uh, kind of beneath that is that you have some really great leaders. You have some men who really care for you and really have a heart for you and your own well-being and for Trinity and for the role that God wants Trinity to play in in the Walla Walla Valley. And so I just want to assure you about that and let you know. So we have our four pastors who went, but also four deacons. Uh, your deacons, Mark Bauman, Dwayne Weston, Mike Seibert, and Josh Wheatley. And then your pastors were there and... Uh, uh, we had invited a couple other guys to join us, and they were sick, but I want you to know that uh, you've got men who really care about you, and if you see one of these guys today, you ought to stop them, you ought to shake their hand, and you ought to thank them for the special effort and energy that they put out uh, on a regular basis on behalf of this church to provide good spiritual leadership to this faith family. So I want to encourage you about that. Um, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles now. To Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, actually, Russ, let's just do it, man. Let's just throw planning to the wind and come on up here. One of your, eld- one of your deacon leaders in years past has been Russ Davis, and I'm going to need a microphone for Russ. Uh, Russ has faithfully served this church in a lot of different roles, right now working with student ministries, but he had kind of a mishap this week, and you may have heard that Russ had a stroke. And he doesn't look like a man who had a stroke, but uh, uh, kind of uh, out of the blue. And uh, Russ said to me, hey, I'd kind of like to say something this morning. And I say, okay. It has to do with uh, being a part of a faith family, right? Which is what we're talking about this morning. God's church, your family. And uh, Russ, you've kind of experienced some of that this week. Yeah, so on, on Tuesday, I had a hemorrhagic stroke, which... Basically, there's a blood vessel bursting inside your brain. This left hand is it's like pretty good. I can't really give you a high five very well. I'm like, <laughs> I can get most of the way there. So over the course of the last three or four days, though, I um, uh, went, went to the ER. I'll give you the short version. The ER ended up in the ICU, and they said, oh, man, you've had a stroke. And um, so I learned a lot about what strokes are. It's interesting. Um, but the most amazing part was there was a seamless... Um, me going to the ER, going to the ICU, and the church family just plugged right in. And um, I was thinking the whole time about the church family 
reaching out beyond the walls of the church and how they came, they met me at, the, at an NICU. I mean, here I am all hooked up to stuff, and, and it's fun seeing people come to visit me, and they, they were texting me, and after that brought us food to our home. But the thing that kept sticking in my head was if you don't, if they don't know you, they can't serve you. And um, if I was an unknown person in this church who just came in the back and hid and didn't talk to anyone, not that there's anything wrong with the back, I just throw that out there. Um, <laughs> but if you just came and were a spectator and never plugged in, you would sit in the hospital room probably by yourself, and, uh, except for your immediate family. So I want to encourage everyone who goes to this church that it's God's church. But this truly is a family, and they were really, I'm trying to keep it all together right here, but they were super helpful this week. I'm very thankful for this church and for this church family. That's beautiful. Russ, thanks for sharing that sure. with us. We're glad for you. Glad for you. <clears throat> yeah, I've been praying for Russ, and uh, glad, to see, glad to see how God has been at work and spared him from, you know, greater impact in that way, and really thankful for that. So, uh, well, it's good to talk about. It's good to be reminded that uh, God is at work in the faith family, because when you turn to Jesus and trusted him as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, when you make that decision, you're not only forgiven of your sins, you're not only given a repaired relationship with God, you are familified, you are put into a family with God as your father and brothers and sisters, other Jesus followers as your brothers and sisters. And the concrete expression of that family is the local church. These local gatherings of Jesus followers, Trinity, is one of those. Did I ask you to open your Bibles to Ephesians 4 yet? Okay, good. Keep, keep them there. Uh, we we uh, brought up a quote last week that starts out like this. Imagine a world, you remember this quote? Imagine a world where people were skeptical of what you believed, but envious of how you treated each other. And we said the first part of that's not hard to imagine. A world that's skeptical of what we believe, but envious of how we treated each other. Wow, that, that would be a beautiful thing, that, that when someone has a difficulty, a health problem, a life challenge, that, that, that people would envy how we rallied around those people and took care of them and loved them and met their needs. Well, we're today we're going to be talking about that kind of relationships with each other. We've talked already about what it means, how to put a- actions to our words in how we love each other, that it means serving one another and going low, and it means preserving unity in the family by talking slow and being careful about how we speak to and about each other. And today we're going to add one more piece on that, and what we're going to talk about this morning, and really talking about God's, uh, the faith family like this, it makes me think of camping, because everybody loves camping, right? Well, Everybody loves the idea of camping, right? We may not love camping, but we love the idea of camping. Because camping is a time to be one with nature, and it's beautiful and wonderful, and it's rejuvenating. But when you're actually packing for camp, and you're actually packing for camp, and someone says, hey, uh, be, sure to bring some, be sure to bring your wool socks... And you're like, wool socks? And yeah, oh, you'll definitely need wool socks because it's going to get really cold. One time I forgot my wool socks, I almost lost my big toe. And you're like, pack the wool socks. 
socks. And then they say, and you'll also be sure to be sure to pack bear spray. And you're like, bear spray? What am I going to need bear spray for? Uh, bears? You know, bears? And, and you're like, bear spray. And they, they say, and be sure to check the emergency aid kit, the first aid kit, and make sure that the snake treatment kit is there. Because, uh, well, never mind, just make sure that it's there. And you're thinking, wool socks and bear spray and a snake bite kit. I mean, I thought camping was supposed to be fun. I thought it was supposed to be beautiful and wonderful and rejuvenating. And now I'm getting the impression that it could kill you, you know? And then you're actually out there sleeping on rocks and it's cold and your tent is dripping and there's dirt in your food and there's smoke in your eyes. And it turns out that camping is is actually a lot harder than the idea of camping. Well, on one occasion, Paul, the leader of this movement of Jesus followers called the way after Jesus ascended into heaven, 11, then 12 disciples, and then Paul went out and, and began planting churches and taking the good news of Jesus uh, to other parts of the Mediterranean area and then ultimately spreading from there and planting these local faith families in different places. And Paul, uh, on one occasion, was instructing a group of Jesus followers in a place named Ephesus. And he was teaching them about the relational dynamics that God wants to exist in these local churches, these faith families. The relational dynamics that, that God intends to exist between his, uh, his children in these uh, local expressions of the family. And Paul, when he did this in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 3, he made this statement. He said, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And that sounds like camping. Because that sounds wonderful and beautiful and rejuvenating. A collection of Jesus followers who put each other first, who love each other so much that they care for each other in times of need, and they, they uh, look after each other, they own each other's well-being, and they're loving each other, and they're sharing, and they're caring. And you say, that sounds awesome. I want to find that church. And I understand that, and I do too. But you don't find that church. You become that church. You don't find that church, you become it. And if we really want to become this church that we've been talking about, this family that we've been talking about over the last couple of months, then we're going to need to pack some wool socks and some bear spray. Because it may be beautiful, it is. It may be rejuvenating, it is. It may be wonderful, it is. But it's not easy. It's not easy, it doesn't happen by accident, and it's going to cost you. If you want to become that faith family, it will cost you. See, right before verse 3, where Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Don't mean to get technical here, but right before verse 3 comes verse 2. And verse 2 says, it, verse 2 tells us what it's going to cost us. This is what it's going to cost us. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 
Now, we've already talked about what it means to, uh, what it means to serve and to go low. We've talked about what it means to preserve unity in the family and to talk slow. But this morning, we're going to add one more important piece to this idea of how we behave as a faith family. And it really comes from verse 2 here. And, and because, because bear spray, where, you know, the idea here is be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Bear spray is to camping what humble, gentle patience is to the faith family. If you love camping, you're going to pack wool socks and bear spray even if you're not excited about having to use them. If you love the idea of a unified, on-mission, caring, sharing faith family, then you're going to need to pack humble, gentle patience and forbearance, even if you really aren't looking forward to using it. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on this one, this one phrase right here in verse 2 where it says this, Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be patient, bearing with each other in love. And we're going to look at really the two key terms in this phrase. Now we understand that it's all couched in, this, in the context of humility and gentleness. We won't be able to carry out patience and the things we're going to learn. You know, we're not going to be able to carry that out unless we start with humility. Humility is, is uh, part of what we talked about when we said we're going to go low for each other. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less is what they say. You know? So you're thinking of other people and you're willing to take on that mindset. And then you're going to be gentle. And as you're being humble and you're going low and as you're practicing gentleness, then you're going to... Uh, then you get to this idea of being patient and bearing with each other in love. So these two ideas, patient and bearing with each other, that's what I want us to focus on this morning because this is kind of like the wool socks and the bear spray of being a faith family. Patience and bearing with each other. The first word is patience, and it it's, uh, translates a Greek word that's a little more complicated than just our idea of patience. It's a Greek word that's compound, macrothumia. So macro, macro means big. Just like uh, we still use macro today as something big and large as opposed to micro, right? So macro, big, long, that's the first part of this word. And thumia, which is passion or anger. And so the idea is someone who is long to become angry, all right? They have a long, we might say they have a long fuse. That's how we might describe that kind of person today. Someone with a, with a long fuse. And that's the idea of, the, of, of this idea of uh, patience, long to get angry. But it's even more than that. And I've looked at this word a lot, and here's what I would boil this word down to. This word patience really means in, that this long to become angry, endurance as it applies to people. We don't usually use the word endurance in the context of relationships, but that's what this word is. So I want you to think of endurance and situations where you have to bring endurance and then you apply that idea to your relationships. So you're exercising, right? Exercise and you're panting and you're sweating and you want to quit, but you don't quit, you endure. 
or you're on a hike. You're hiking somewhere, and you can see where you're going to end up, but you're not there yet, and you're tired, and, and you're maybe a little bit frustrated, and you just want to be done with it, but instead, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. That's endurance. Or you're in a, you experience chronic pain, and you really don't want to get up out of bed, but you know that life requires it, and you put yourself through pain, and you just do that. You take that idea of endurance and you apply it to our relationships. That's what Paul is talking about. Be completely humble and gentle and then endure. In the, endure with, with people. Endure in the context of relationships. So that's the first word. Endurance in the, in the, as it applies to people. And the second part of this phrase, be patient Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. If the first word is, pay, uh, is endurance, then this word is more like tolerance. Right? Tolerance. And when we use the word tolerance, I kind of think of the words, they're not, very, they're not very warm words, but I think of putting up with something. I mean, that's what tolerance is. It's putting up with something. And that's really the idea that Paul is saying. Uh, we put up with relationships we put up with each other we don't just when you put up with something when you put up with something you don't just experience it naturally you discipline yourself to experience it right you discipline yourself not to quit you kind of force yourself to put up with something and that's the idea here it's not our natural response to do this in a relationship and paul says listen you've got to make it your disciplined response to put up with this. You put up, you bear with each other. One translation puts it like this, showing tolerance for one another. Another Bible translation says, making allowance for one another's faults. That's the idea. And, uh, and this can only happen, again, in the context of humility and gentleness. We're humble, we're gentle, and so we practice relational endurance, and we practice relational tolerance, and now, here's the thing. We're to endure each other and tolerate each other. Now, if you use that as a tagline for your church, you know, Trinity, where we endure each other and tolerate each other. I mean, that's kind of cold sounding, right? So Paul adds a phrase to this. He adds a phrase at the very end. He says, in love. Now, we know that love is value and commitment. Love is value and commitment. So that helps. That helps us where we, we endure with each other and we tolerate each other out of our value and commitment for each other, out of the fact that we value each other, we value our relationships, they matter to us, we put high value on our brothers and sisters, and we, we are committed to each other. So because we value each other and because we're committed to each other, out of that we practice relational endurance. And tolerance, because we hold each other in high regard and we're committed to our relationships with each other. What I want us to notice is that in both of these ideas, there's the presence in, in both endurance and tolerance, there's the, there's the presence of length of time. Length of time, right? There's tenure. There is continuance, right? There's persistence and perseverance, there is relationship that goes past the point of disagreement. That's the idea. If you're having to endure, 
If you're having to practice tolerance, that means you're relating to each other past the point of friction, past the point of disagreement, past the point of uh, disappointment. So many times that's not what happens in a faith family. But we have, to, we have to continue in relationship past the point of disappointment because disappointment is going to come. Disappointment's going to come. Disagreement is going to come. Difference is going to come because anytime you put real people in real relationships in the real world, there's going to be real problems, right? And these things are going to get messy. And they're actually, I mean, the church is actually a place where things can get messier than anywhere else. You hear people who object and, and uh, who are like, yeah, I won't have anything to do with the church because churches, they have all kinds of problems. Well, you want to know the truth? Churches do have all kinds of problems. Do you want to know why? Because there isn't any other organization that's trying to accomplish what the church is trying to accomplish. There isn't any other organization that's like the church. There's, there are just... Just to name a few of the things that can make a church a place where things get messy. Number one is just that really the only thing we have in common necessarily, by definition, is Jesus. And so we have a a faith family of multiple generations with different values and different preferences and different experiences. We have different levels of education in a faith family. You have different levels of socioeconomic standing. You know, you have different uh, preferences and all these differences. And the only thing you, by definition, the only thing you have in common is Jesus. And so there's, there's first of all that. And I don't mean only, like it's not important, but that is the one thing that holds us together. For, so for that reason, the church can get messy. Because you bring all these different people together. The second reason is because all these different people together, are, all these different people are supposed to work together to accomplish something. We're not just meeting, you know, we're actually supposed to work together. We've got a valley of 50,000 people, 30,000 at least don't have any uh, notable relationship with God. And we know that everybody lives forever somewhere, and it's our job to be part of reaching these 30,000 people who have no relationship with God out of the 50,000 who live here. And that means we have to work together. And that's hard. You take all these different people, we're supposed to all work together, and then you add one more thing, and that is that we are supposed to go deep into each other's lives. We're supposed to go deep in relationship with each other. See, we're not a reading club where all we have to do is share our insight about the literary structure of the book we just read or our favorite metaphor, you know, And then we get to go home after we have a little coffee and cookies. That's not the faith family. We're not a political party where all we have to do is figure out policy and procedure, you know. Uh, And and we're not a hobby club where all we have to do is like the same music or be into model trains or whatever it is that you know your hobby might be. That's we're not that. We're actually a group of people who share our flaws with each other. We confess our sins to each other. We acknowledge where we are weak with each other. We tell our whole stories to each other. We share our hurts and our dreams. And in all that vulnerability, 
there is tremendous opportunity for hurt. Right? Tremendous opportunity for hurt. You add all, you add that to the mix, and you bet things have the potential to get messy because you've got a brew that is beautiful, but it's also, uh, you know, it could also go sour on you very easily. That's so true. People in close relationship with each other have unique opportunities to be hurt by each other. Even if, even if it's unintended. Even if it's not what we meant to do. Just the journey itself brings so, much, so many opportunities for, for things to go wrong. If I were to ask you to raise your hand, I'm not going to do this, but if I were to ask you to raise your hand and, and I were to ask you this question, how many of you have been deeply hurt and wounded by your neighbor, the person who lives on your street? I don't know, there might be a hand or two that I have been deeply wounded or hurt by my neighbor, but not too many. But if I were to ask you, who here has been deeply wounded or hurt by your mother or your father or a family member? We'd have a lot of hands go up. Why is that? How could that be? It's because the closer we allow people into our lives the more opportunity we provide for hurt and harm. Even unintended. Even unintended. If I were to ask you, how many of you have been hurt by your mother or father, and they meant to do you wrong, a lot of hands would go down. Yeah, I've been hurt. Oh, meant to do me? No, they were just messed up. They were doing their best, but their best was still wounding to me. They were just living out part of their story. They couldn't help it, but that hurt me. That had impact on me. That's just life in a family. And the church is not any different from that. If we want to be a church where we really know and love each other, then things are going to get difficult. There's going to be hurt. There's potential for wounding and disappointing. So yeah, the church can and often is messier than any other organization that you'll be part of. That's because it's doing something that no other organization you're part of is doing. And it's working in you at a level that no other organization, your model railroad train club is not doing deep transformative things in you. Right? So things get messy. When things get messy, what should you do? Do you know what I learned to do in my family of origin? What I learned to do in my family of origin when things get messy, I just distance myself from it. I distance myself from it. I walk away from it. If you don't care about me, okay, I will care about you less. That's how I managed in my family of origin. You probably learned some dysfunctional ways of operating your family of origin too. And when we come to the church, we've got to learn to overcome those and let God work those out of us and turn us into new creations. Because Jesus shows us a new way in the church where brothers and sisters practice relational endurance. We're into long-term relationships. That means we don't let go. 
We don't let go. We practice perseverance through the messiness of life together. We don't walk away from the mess. We walk through the mess with each other. And we practice being humble and going low and talking slow and not letting go of each other in love. This is not easy. This is wool socks and bear spray. The stuff you bring, but you're like, I just hope I don't have to use this. It requires humility. It requires being gentle. It requires being willing to be wronged by someone and not exacting your revenge on that or not caring less for them because they cared less for you. We resist this kind of... We resist wool socks and bear spray. We want to be able to wear our flip-flops. We want to be able to just kind of lounge around the campfire and, and have it easy. We pursue the path of least resistance in relationships. One thing I read in relation to uh, preparing for today is a, is a man who said, we all look for strategies and techniques that will free us from the pain of relationships. We all look for strategies and techniques that will free us from the pain of relationships and free us from the hard work that good relationships demand. I do that. Do you do that? Look for the easiest path, the path of least resistance in our relationships. The truth is, the nature of love is to practice endurance and tolerance. Putting each other first, past the point of disappointment, persevering with each other in love. And just like we've seen all along this study, if we learn to love like Jesus... We'll start to look like Jesus. We'll start to look like like Jesus to the people around us. And the reason is, we will actually be looking more like Jesus when we practice these ways of relating to each other. These are actually paths of growth for us to become more Christ-like as we learn to love each other through these times of, of hurt and disappointment and just challenge and friction. Joe Hellerman, whose book has been really helpful to me in preparing for this series, his, his book was called uh, When the Church Was a Family. I've referred to it a couple times uh, early on in the series. But he, he says this, and we'll kind of close by thinking about this thought. Kind of long quote, but it's worth slowly reading. Spiritual formation. So that's the process of becoming more like Jesus, growing up in spiritual maturity. Spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of, of community. People who remain connected with their brothers and sisters in the church almost invariably grow in self-understanding and they mature in their ability to relate in healthy ways to God and to fellow human beings. This is especially the case for those courageous Christians who stick it out through the messy process of interpersonal conflict. Long Term relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. I've been part of this faith family for uh, 24 years, plus a couple months, plus one month. I've learned that this is true. That if we really want growth, we have to stay in relationship with each other. We don't walk away from hurt and disappointment, but we really walk through the mess with one another. So my challenge is to you and also to me. 
to do the hard work of being a faith family. Since we're brothers and sisters, we're members of this strong group family. A new culture in our larger culture that's not strong group. We're members of this faith family. We are brothers and sisters. God is our Father. Then let's practice relational endurance with each other. Let's recognize that messes come along with churches. That's because they're part of how God works deeply in us. And misunderstandings come along with relationships because it's real people and real relationships. And how we deal with them is part of our identity as Jesus followers and also part of our, our uh, witness to the world around us. And it's part of how we're going to grow to be more like Jesus. It's not easy and it will cost you. It will cost you your pride. It will cost you your energy. It will cost you your forgiveness. It's not easy. It can feel like wool socks and bear spray. But if you love the idea, if you love the idea of a loving church, you love that idea, then to become a reality, you're going to have to pack humble, gentle, patience, endurance, perseverance. You're going to have to pack it on your journey in the process of becoming that church. You're not going to find that church. You will only become that church. That's the work that God wants to do in us. As he does that work in us, then he's going to do a work in our valley because of us. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake. I want to give you a minute to process some things that God may be saying to you, and then I'll pray for you and for me. So bow your heads if that's how you want to spend this time. You can, you can pray, think, talk to God about what he's put on your heart. Father, you, uh, as Jesus' followers, when you call us to your family and you give us, you adopt us into your family through what Jesus has done for us, you put us on a, in, on a pathway that is not always easy. It's always good, but it's not always easy. And you call us to things because we're just reminded that you're calling us to things that, that uh, you created people to be and you created us to function that way, but, but our sinfulness has... Uh, kept us far from those ways of functioning. And now you're in the process of restoring us to the way you meant for us to be. And you meant for us to treat one another with the same kind of love that you treat us. And you meant for us to experience closeness with each other. And we're reminded this morning of how challenging that is. But also, we're reminded how much we want it. So my prayer for me, for my brothers and sisters here, is that you will keep carrying out that good work in us. That you'll keep this ideal in front of us, but also the practicality that it can't just be an ideal and that it requires real sacrifice, real humility, real 
patience and endurance with each other and that you'll help carry that out in us. This is your work. It can only happen as you do it. So we ask you, on the basis of what Jesus has done for us, on the basis of your Holy Spirit living in us, to please continue that work that you began in us until the day of Jesus Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen.